Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. Attorneys general have a unique role as defenders of the public interest and often work collectively on nonpartisan issues that have a wide impact on people's daily lives. In our second season, we've invited attorneys general from different political parties to discuss how they work together in a bipartisan way to serve their constituents and protect the rule of law. In today's episode, we welcome New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas and Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes for a conversation about supporting victims of crime and how participating in international delegations helps them serve their constituents and form relationships with their fellow attorneys general. Generals, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm delighted to have you both here and thank you for your time in advance. Um, I wanted to start out just to talk a little bit about your role as attorney general. You both have served for several years now. And I know you came from different backgrounds before um, coming into the role. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you chose to run uh, for attorney general and how your early career has helped you in in the job right now. So um, General Reyes, do you want to kick that one off for us? Absolutely. And let me say, it's such an honor to be on this podcast with Hector Balderas, who's a dear friend and an incredible colleague and has been a leader in our AG community. And Allison, thank you for all that you contribute. Um, to help. Um, It's a great idea for the podcast. And um, my background, uh, I started uh, in private practice uh, on the civil side, mostly did a little bit of criminal defense work on big white collar um, crime cases. I represented a lot of technology companies. And because of that, um, ended up deeply immersed in the tech world, uh, both Uh, representing companies against the federal government and agencies, regulatory agencies, being frustrated sometimes by what seemed to be, uh, you know, really difficult standards and rules, Um, but but had a great time um, and, and, and some success doing that for a number of years, for about 15 years, and then pivoted to be general counsel for a tech and entertainment company. From there went to run a venture fund, which was a wild and and incredibly um, educational ride to be able to invest in companies, uh, run companies, buy and sell them, um, try to make them better uh, um, citizens in terms of the corporate world. Um, And and then I, I don't know if it really, it happened that I chose to run for AG so much as it it felt like uh, I got chosen to run because there were some, I would say, difficulties with my predecessors. Um, they ended up ultimately getting indicted um, and it, it turned out to be uh, a mess for the AG's office in Utah. And uh, I was appointed in 2013 in December uh, with the task to try to clean things up and bring some trust back to the office. And I think um, having done a lot of nonprofit work, a lot of humanitarian work, um, sitting on boards and founding um, nonprofits, uh, I was really excited about the public service uh, opportunities. Um, Had a little bit of law enforcement uh, background, not certified LEO, but um, helping to run citizens academies and, and get to know the law enforcement side better. And all of that just seemed to coalesce into this position where, um, I got to wake up in the morning and protect the citizens of my state, whether those were uh, families or women and children um, or businesses, and help uh, keep the business um, environment uh, a more level playing field 
and try to go after fraudsters and scammers and schemers, which were pretty prevalent in my state. Um, and, and all of that background leading up to it seemed to work well for me. The one thing I don't have and or didn't then and still don't is a career in prosecution. And so I leaned and relied on many of my um, AG friends from the NAG world um, to help me. And of course, I've surrounded myself with brilliant and talented prosecutors who have spent their careers dedicated to that aspect of the law and the criminal justice system. But for me, um, I think all of that background manifests itself in some way or the other. Most of the issues that Hector and I, that General Balderas and I work on are nonpartisan issues, bipartisan um, at best. Occasionally, there are some issues that get politicized, but we're, I tell people all the time who ask, what is it that you do again? Because I'm not even sure what the AG does. And, um, you know, most normal people don't. Um, but I say, you know, we're similar to uh, first responders. And uh, if your home is on fire, what do you want? You want a firefighter who's capable, who can come and rescue your family and put out the fire. And you don't really care about what that person thinks um, about a whole host of issues. And for most of the time, that's what we're doing. We're putting out fires, whether they're physical ones or mental behavioral ones like suicide or uh, uh, depression and issues that, that are challenging uh, addiction, uh, whether, you know, again, opioids or pornography addictions, all of those things, uh, or, or sometimes they're legal fires um, that we have to put out, standing up to defend the laws that are state legislators or the people passed directly through ballot initiatives. And, and all of that, again, kind of coalesces into an amazing uh, public service uh, position and opportunity. And uh, it's been you know, the privilege of a lifetime to be able to serve to and now into my third term uh, as Utah's Attorney General. Great, General Barderas, what about you? What did you bring to this role and how do you think it's helping you? You know, initially, I think my journey starts from a real small town in, in Wagamon, New Mexico, population 300 people on a good day, and uh, come from a county that has about 4,000 people total. And so I really became curious with the law when I was uh, recruited by some now sitting female judges in New Mexico that had identified that uh, my county and my little university at Highlands University had not really produced um, either uh, law applicants or a law graduate from my county. And, um, and somehow I got uh, identified when I was in college to, to get to think about law school and apply for my law degree. And, and so I'm really grateful to some of those uh, earlier generations of folks that thought it was important to have um, someone from that region really uh, be armed with a law degree and and um, and represent some of those communities. And so I initially saw it as a way to, to get a decent job and get out of poverty. And, and what grew really quickly um, is I was attracted to really public service and serving as a prosecutor. And so it went from just getting a law degree to serving as a couple of years as a prosecutor and a private defense attorney. Um, I became curious uh, about the AG's office when I uh, began to run for the legislative seat and of my region, which had never had an attorney also represent uh, that region in the New Mexico legislature. And the issue of accountability or oversight, especially for impoverished communities, really became a signature of 
my public service. I went on to be state auditor, and uh, whether it was as a prosecutor, legislator, or auditor, uh, wanted to use uh, you know power um, as a way to protect the powerless and and oversight and investigating waste, fraud, and abuse really became somewhat of a passion for me, especially in a poor state with a very weak safety net. Um, what excited me about the AG's office is as you take that development, uh, I thought the AG's office was one of the most fascinating offices that had more tools in that toolbox to, to continue to, to fight for families and disenfranchised communities. And so really it was a lot of early folks uh, in my career that trained me, gave me the opportunity to use that law license uh, for public good. But at the end of the day, the AG's office, uh, both in the state of New Mexico, is a profound toolbox to make a difference for families. And then, as you can tell with this podcast, working with AGs from all over the country uh, who all have different tools in their toolbox, our offices are all a little different, has been uh, really one of the most rewarding areas of my professional career in partnering with AGs across the country on a host of issues. But ultimately, all of these issues, whether they're consumer, environmental, public safety, um, really go back to my origin of my community where if we can better protect children and whatever the policy fight or legal fight, I call it the street fights, whatever the street fights we as AGs from this country get involved in, ultimately for me, the most rewarding is the outcome that it produces a better outcome for families, whether they have resources and power or whether they lack resources and are powerless. uh, This constituency of AGs uh, does more with less and creatively uh, takes these fights into unique areas. And uh, it's been a a really rewarding um, experience. And I will say this, For a lot of us, we have to designate ourselves as part of a party process or political party process to get nominated. But I think we're one of the, I call it the fourth branch of government. We're one of the last bastions of true bipartisan constituencies that reaches across the aisle, collaborates uh, in an unofficial manner and also in an official manner. And I'll share a story at the end of the podcast, but uh, when we experienced one of the most uh, horrific environmental catastrophes in New Mexico, a mine blew up in Colorado and polluted many of our water resources all the way to Arizona and Utah. Uh, Sean and I met in the middle at the border area where Utah and, and New Mexico intersect. And we literally were driving our cars, like first responder, like General Reyes says, and we began a fight against the federal government. And no political party, no law school, no legal training prepared us to operate in such a special capacity as leaders of our community. And so I really think it's one of the last bastions of bipartisan interaction. And sometimes we have to respond uh, only because we know each other um, in a way that's really unconventional, exciting, and creative. And it does deserve to be I guess, uh, commended uh, because uh, we have multiple experiences like that where I'll say, okay, I'll meet you at the river's edge at the Utah-Colorado border and uh, New Mexico border. And sure enough, three hours, four hours later, Sean was there. I was there. 
And, uh, and so this type of dialogue is, is fascinating to share with other legal communities uh, that there is a, a unique way for us to work together in spite of party or titles. Uh, and that's been uh, really a, a benefit to the people of Utah and the people of New Mexico. I wanted to talk about an area that I think almost, I believe every attorney general agreed on over the last year or so, the Victims of Crime Act. Um, Last year, August 2020, every AG in the country called on Congress to pass what was called the VOCA Fix Act. And it was actually just recently passed by Congress and the president signed it into law. I'd like to learn a little bit more about this and why um, why it's so important. So General Reyes, maybe do you want to start there? Can you tell us a little bit about why you supported the VOCA Fix Act and also just why the Crime Victims Fund is so important? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the Victims of Crime Act, VOCA, was first passed in 1984, and it, it really heralded uh, a sea change in terms of getting federal resources to us at the local level to be able to support victims of crime. And as Hector alluded to, he and I both grew up in tougher sides of the, the neighborhoods. Um, you know, my dad is an immigrant. My mom might as well have been when she came from Hawaii, but that's a, a kind of a different culture. And uh, we grew up in the poor side of Los Angeles and saw a lot of uh, people victimized. And many of them were people from our own uh, ethnic or racial backgrounds. You know, Hector and I share a common uh, Latino or Hispanic heritage. I also have Pacific Islander, Asian mixed in. I know he has some other things uh, as well. Um, and we saw a disproportionate amount of our own people being uh, victimized. And the Victims of Crime Act, at least to me, and I think for many of my colleagues, including General Balderas, represents um, hope for a lot of different organizations at the local level and adopting the VOCA Fix Act, which VOCA was uh, potentially in trouble and and people don't realize in Congress, you have to get these important bills um, essentially reapproved every few years uh, or they cease to exist. Um, Adopting the act saves thousands of organizations, allowing them to continue life-saving services to victims around the country. Uh, in, in Utah alone, we have so many uh, that will benefit from uh, this legislation at the, at the federal level, be able to continue their really incredible work of advocating for victims, healing those with trauma, protecting children and families, Victims need and deserve access to these types of resources and adopting the new act. I believe all of us as an AG community believes, um, all of us believe that this will ensure victims throughout the country uh, receive the needed support um, now and into the future. So, you know, with that, I've got a lot of statistics, but I won't get into them. I'll give you um, one the bulk of almost $4 million in VOCA grants in Utah goes to fund mental health service for child abuse victims and pays for for core victim service positions, including in our children's justice centers that the AG's office has the privilege to oversee. And if you've ever been around these types of uh, miraculous centers where they bring people of all different backgrounds um, who are victims, but also who are experts from to cross-jurisdictional, multi-faceted team. They're almost like uh, superheroes, like the Avengers. Uh, And they come together to help wrap children 
who are abused, whether that's physical, mental, behavioral uh, abuse, uh, in a cocoon of love and support in an environment which will help them get resources um, and not only uh, survive the current crisis and not only bring to justice those who are uh, the perpetrators, but to protect them and help them long term. It's, it's really magical to see. And these were the types of programs that were at risk if we didn't all come together as a, as a nation and support the VOCA Fix Act. Yeah, Allison, that's a, another good example, uh, really classic example of where we as AGs across the country don't take a partisan position or take a partisan lens uh, to a very important issue like this. Um, for us to, uh, New Mexico is unfortunately one of the worst states for child well-being, and which means that one of the factors is those children are often exposed to violence at an early age and, and really at unhealthy levels. And as I was saying earlier, New Mexico does not have the strongest public safety net to start with. We have a lot of poverty. Uh, we're highly a rural area. And so the this type of federal funding is absolutely vital to saving lives on a daily basis. And so I think for us to not only sign on, but to see other AGs come forward and, and fix some of the funding streams that were also antiquated. One of the things that I'd like to highlight that I think AGs, because we come together above party politics, we also have an ability to advise Congress on how they can improve these acts. And one of the areas was uh, to, to be more lenient on matching uh, state funding to federal funding. And so, for instance, if we all agree, you know, local, state, and federal uh, partners agree that funding should flow to those most vulnerable uh, victims of violence. Uh, there were antiquated matching uh, fiscal requirements uh, that would create the unintended consequence that some states who are having maybe a bad fiscal year or local communities that don't have those matching funds, that they would somehow be uh, subjected to not receiving those funds with these ridiculous contingencies. And so I think it's really because of AGs we were able to uh, uh, um, educate Congress to be more flexible. In other words, don't create uh, contingencies that ultimately could hurt families. The other one is giving AGs more authority to extend those benefits for victims of, of, of families. Um, and, and really for New Mexico, a lot of times when you have like a, a first degree murder of a child, not only is that family in shock, but nine out of 10 times, they don't have the financial resources to provide other basic services like funerals, um, provide uh, counseling to the remaining, uh, remaining family members. So this, these type of federal funds uh, oftentimes um, go to the most vital interventions right at the point of trauma. And um, this is uh, really why this uh, AG group uh, stepping forward, not only making uh, taking a stand but also identifying areas that we could increase and improve those victim services at least the paradigm is so essential but this is a a, a good example of a milestone where uh, the group uh, responded and I really believe it's saving lives or uh, addressing some of the traumas that families are experiencing on a daily basis yeah and I think it sounds like just the on the ground, uh, hands-on experience that you have as AGs representing the, the constituents in your state really does make a difference in those policy areas because you're able to communicate back up to Congress about 
what you're seeing on the ground. That's fascinating. You know, Hector brought it up and said it very eloquently uh, earlier. One of the reasons why we can be um, nonpartisan often is that uh, unlike many of our colleagues in the realm of public service, we don't we don't make the policies for the state. So that's um, we're law enforcers. And often we end up enforcing, uh, and I'm sure it's the case in New Mexico as it is in Utah, that I end up enforcing laws that I don't even agree with. Um, and there's an opportunity to, to give input in the lawmaking process, but that's not our primary role. And because we're the ones who are out there uh, enforcing it, we're, the fights are not amongst us. Um, often we will we'll, we'll commiserate with each other and say, yeah, we're... <laughs> we're all in the same boat and, and there are other political forces, um, you know, that, that pressure our office. But, but again, I think Hector's uh, examples are, are great. I'd rather just listen to him answer questions, to be honest. Um, this reminds me of several delegation trips that we've taken. And if we have time, maybe we, you know, talk a little bit about that exporting a lot of the American dream and what's good about America, because certainly we're not perfect and we have a lot to learn from friends and allies around the world, but, but, but being able to take the, the things that do work well around the world, I've watched Hector uh, lead those delegations and it's a, it's, it's fun. It's great because not only are we colleagues, but we've become really close friends and our, our wives and our families are friends and it's a, it, it, it does feel like um, one of the last places in, in politics that it's not divisive at the outset. It's not a presumption of partisanship. And, uh, you know, you, you go to your corner and I'll go to mine. Um, we do meet in the middle a lot, whether that's on physical borders uh, for our states or ideologically. I'd, I'd love to actually hear a little bit more about your delegation experiences. Do you want to talk a little bit about it now? Yeah, absolutely. And since I've been talking more, I'll let Hector lead like he does so well on these delegation trips, and I'll just uh, supplement. Well, and, and you know, it's been eye-opening for uh, both personally and professionally. I guess the first is, you know, we all even have perceptions when we travel to a foreign country for the first time that we we we, we have an understanding that there are certain enviable values that our country um, produces in around the world, and we we already know that a lot of these foreign nations have assumptions about our country. We have a lot of problems here, but um, and we we tended to defer to the federal government, uh, whether it's the State Department or other federal partners, to really set the tone uh, for our friendship and for our services. But the AGs have really taken an international lead in certain value sets that we know are the envy of the world. And one of them is the justice system. There's a lot of curiosity uh, when these nations are trying to advance democracy, that they understand that the individual rights and the justice system and the laws and the constitution by which these nations are trying to evolve in, uh, that the, this country is the gold standard. And sometimes it's good for these countries to not just hear from federal partners, but also to hear on the state side what we're doing to uh, to produce a better justice system, a better enforcement of individual rights, and so this is where AGs are 
really uh, world leaders in terms of trying to train other judges and other prosecutors and other law enforcement members around the world on how to bring stability and improve their democratic institutions. And so Sean and I get to go and personally connect with uh, local leaders and state leaders that are trying to reform, for instance, their jury system. And uh, we've entered into partnerships where Utah and New Mexico will bring prosecutors from uh, you know, Mexico and other foreign nations to come just train on how we gather evidence and how we uh, perform a jury trial. And so we've gotten a, a real honor of going to many countries around the world like China and, uh, and Morocco just to tell our stories about how we work together, number one. Number two, how we also have struggles within our own state systems, but how we overcome some of these obstacles uh, in our country. And it ends up being, we be, end up really creating long-lasting friendships that, and, and also scholarship opportunities among professionals that also, in, in the end, because we, we deal with international laundering and uh, human trafficking, we create vital relationships that are necessary to also advance our nation's interests. And so it, it comes together uh, in a way that through this cultural understanding and, and professional training around the legal system and law enforcement issues, that has been uh, professionally very rewarding. And I, I want to thank previous AGs who had the vision and were courageous enough to say, no, we, we shouldn't stay home. We have to also uh, spread some of these uh, resource issues around the world. There is a, an advantage and a benefit to this country to create these situations and relationships uh, that support uh, a greater safety for families and children. Like, like someone said famously in the AG space, you know, crime knows no borders. So we have uh, issues crossing our borders every day. And AGs really, by these international trips, had really developed a, an organic understanding of who our potential partners can be. And, and then just personally speaking, as uh, General Reyes noted, um, the personal growth uh, from our families in terms of also being by our sides uh, is, is really uh, a wonderful tool to create fellowship and friendship. And so when they see uh, General Reyes' kids or my kids involved in some of these, um, uh, you know, leadership experiences, I think it humanizes uh, really what we're all trying to do both domestically and internationally. And that's really just create a more just, safe, uh, experience and and to try to coexist in a way that is beneficial uh, to our families and so the the AGs have uh, really phenomenally led um, some professional experiences for me and I'll give one example for me to see a human trafficking safe house in Mexico City was very vital because I soon realized that New Mexico was not offering enough protection and services uh, for crime, uh, for trafficking victims. And I think uh, the AGs, as we came back, we talked more about these issues and these deficits and realized that maybe because uh, other countries are facing those atrocities, they built their systems differently. We also can learn uh, from our partners internationally. And so that was one small example where I, when I began to tell the stories about the, the way that they 
provide safe house services to the entire families, I soon recognized that New Mexico had a deficit, that we don't have enough human trafficking interventions like counseling and, um, uh, and, and supports for the rest of the family. And so it's just little things like that that I want to commend our AG community for really getting us out in some of these countries. And we learn a lot and we bring a lot uh, to the table when we engage in these, these delegation trips. Oh, Allison, I can't wait to riff off of, uh, Hector triggered me with the phrase human trafficking. He knows that this is an issue that he and I are both passionate about, but you know, his point about bringing families, you wouldn't think about this, but oftentimes, uh, whether it's Hector's wife or my wife or our kids, um, sometimes they are our best weapons in helping to educate um, as we go across. And if we had time for stories, which we don't, um, it'd be awesome to talk about how sometimes they've disarmed um, distrust on the other side, or they've changed the perspective of how people view us. Um, uh, before I get into uh, the human trafficking side, uh, let me throw out a few caveats because we are lawyers and we, you know, we want to qualify everything. But, so that no one leaves thinking that all we do is fly around the world on, um, you know, trips. Um, uh, I know I put in, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks often in my state. I know General Balderas is knowing his background, knowing how hard he works. I've seen him on these delegation trips, answering 100 emails, um, doing Zooms. Uh, we're, we're always working to protect our people and the, the benefit to each of our individual states and our nation as a whole is immense when we are out there fortifying our relationships with allies and friends, or sometimes they're not necessarily um, the closest of allies and we're forging stronger relationships. So upfront, because I have people ask me all the time, you went where and you did what? And what, what jurisdiction do you have? You know, it may not spell it out immediately, in a statute in our state. But if you take a holistic view and, and realize the world is so much more flat and there's so much more crime attacking us globally, um, then you, you can't just bury your head in, in, in the sand. And, and Hector said it well about the, there are no borders. Um, th there, are, there are other caveats. We, we do love our federal counterparts and we try to coordinate with them and make sure what we do in these nations is not counterproductive. We do check with the State Department. We're, we're not taking individual positions that uh, would, uh, you know, again, set back relationships that are carefully cultivated. And, and a lot of uh, agencies at the federal level spend a lot of time uh, nurturing. However, we don't work for them, the federal government, at the same time. We have individual autonomous jurisdiction. And for example, since uh, Hector mentioned China, when the when DC and Beijing are at an impasse and not seeing eye to eye, it's great to be able to come at a local level and be able to solve problems and solutions, including for things like the human trafficking issue or opioids, um, which is another area where AGs have let out uh, in a bipartisan way and have real conversations or bring um, economic development directly back to our states or our nation without the, the layers of federal government. And we hear so often from our friends on the other side, hey, we, we've interacted with, you know, fill in the blank federal agency from the US, but it takes like five years to even get a response. And maybe they're exaggerating, but sometimes it does feel like that. And when we're there, 
um, and being able to react and respond and uh, bring resources to friends and then have friends bring resources back to our states around the world. It's, it's such an incredibly powerful dynamic. So I don't want people to think that we're maverick John Waning stuff uh, you know, around the world. Um, but, but with that understanding, what Hector talked about is absolutely right. When you get to go see, whether it's in Qatar or in Havana, Cuba, or in Mexico City, um, just to add a little more um, detail, I mean, there were hoods put on us on buses. Hector, remember this. I mean, it felt kind of gangster. I mean, they, they literally put hoods on us and our families um, so that uh, to protect the location of this sanctuary or safe house for survivors of human trafficking. And when we went out there, he was right. We were blown away because they were doing 10 times more and in some, some ways, 100 times more than what we were doing. And at, at the site, there are 15 armed federal agents, guards, protecting them with automatic, you know, with class three weapons. I've never seen a sanctuary like that. And I've been to many of them throughout the, the U.S. And that's not to say that there's only one way to do things. But to see a country that's struggling in so many other ways and asking our help, and then uh, to see how much more advanced they were in, in certain other areas, it's, it's really exciting. And I think if you go in a spirit of humility, which when Hector and I have led delegations, that's the first thing that we lead out with, uh, right, brother? It's, look, we're here to learn from you as much as to um, you know, help you. And, and we often do. And we, we know things aren't perfect in our country and, and you have your challenges, but together we believe we're stronger. And we, we've replicated that in Africa and in the Gulf and in Latin America. And I'll give you one example. NAG hosted a really powerful human trafficking summit in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago and brought experts from around the world. And it was really empowering for, um, for people throughout the human trafficking world to, to be able to access the expertise that we had and then be able to follow up with AGs directly and say, can we try this in your state? And AGs have the power to say, yeah, let's try it out. We don't need the permission of a hundred different agencies. We can do it tomorrow and let's get it going. And several different programs that have been effective were launched um, there. So credit to NAG and uh, IEP and, and all the groups that were involved there. Uh, I think Mara Healy and I were co-chairing at the time, the NAG Human Trafficking um, Committee. And so we were, we were well involved. Hector has taken a, you know, a stand on human trafficking. He's got an incredible human trafficking czar. I know because I used to be a, a wannabe MMA fighter. I fought MMA, but not at a high level. He's got uh, Coach Jackson uh, in, in New Mexico, who's one of the world's greatest MMA trainers, celebrity. And he's the one who leads out having conversations with people to raise awareness. And so something like human trafficking um, you know, we're, we're, we're about to execute warrants in my own state. I won't say where or when, but very, very soon. Could, could be as soon as tomorrow on a number of human trafficking um, enterprises that are fronting as legitimate businesses, but their victims are foreign nationals. We know, and we've, we've done this in the past. It's not just, if it's happening in Utah, which is relatively quiet and safe, trust me, it's happening everywhere, wherever else. And I know it's happening um, in Salt Lake, in Santa Fe. And to have the the courageous leadership of people like General Balderas join with me and say, you know what, we're going to stop this. We're going to stand up together. And if we have to go to other countries um, and, and coordinate with them how we're going to work together to make sure when 
known pedophiles, child sex offenders in the U.S. are traveling to their countries, we'll alert them. Or when they're traveling to our country, we'll alert them. And of course, we want our federal counterparts to be uh, participants in all that. But but sometimes it takes us as state AGs uh, at the local level to really spur them like, hey, that's either that's what we're supposed to do. So we'll do it. Or, hey, can we join you? Or we just didn't even know that it existed. And, and now what a great resource. Let's all work together. And you know, Heather Fisher, who was the White House human trafficking star in the last administration, just absolutely loved the state AGs. Bipartisan, called every one of them and worked with them because she knew that when the, where the rubber meets the road and wanted things to get done, she could call uh, the NAG AGs. She could call um, you know, uh, the bipartisan coalition and things would happen. So I, I, I know I was going to talk about some of the actual trips and um, I, I can say people's lives have been saved. Uh, families have been rescued. Um, criminal enterprises internationally have been shut down only because of the relationships that were forged by state AGs going abroad and creating friendships and relationships so that people had the confidence and knew who to call. Sometimes they were so frustrated, they'd called everyone that they could call at the federal level and no one could help. And they called state AG um, and and doors opened. Again, we have resources, um, not as big budgets um, uh, as our federal friends and counterparts. And and, and I don't want this to to sound like an indictment. There's so many good friends that we have working at the federal level and we we love them and appreciate them. and always want to work with them when we can. But um, sometimes, especially at the global level, it really takes a face-to-face sit-down meeting, some trust, breaking bread literally and eating it and eating stuff that you maybe don't even want to eat. And we could talk about a, a bunch of that um, culturally, um, but uh, it's it's been one of the most fascinating and fulfilling parts of my service um, and it sounds like Hector's too, uh, state AGs. Wow, that was just, it's fascinating to hear about the what people might think of as just, you know, a trip to a different country, how much impact it can have back home um, and just across the globe. So it's a fascinating case studies. Thank you for sharing all that. There, there have been times where we've been able to bring back opportunities for our state economically um, in terms of business, I mean, people are interested. They, they're like, hey, New Mexico, I heard they're working on this energy project in, in another country. We, we have assets, we have resources, and we've been able to construct and help facilitate. It may not be our office that manages it beyond the introduction. It could go to the governor's office and economic development. But, but am I wrong on that? No, the, a lot of times what happens is we, we begin to talk about uh, public safety issues or also the, the justice system where we assist in their training their judges, their prosecutors, very technical and specific. And then it does morph eventually into um, some of the intellectual property issues or you know uh, countries will identify where uh, import export ideas and we, we you know we tell them look we're not governors and we're not trade associations but a lot of times those conversations as we represent our states as public safety officers they begin to look at utah differently or new mexico and a lot of times uh, you know additional contacts will be made um, in the areas of either trade or development um, or, or really just economic uh, opportunities uh, for, for greater partnership. I know a lot of 
uh, conversations have uh, morphed for for me um, in terms of universities uh, developing uh, greater partnerships uh, in other countries in, in terms of clean energy. When they find out that New Mexico exports pecans and uh, oil and gas, for instance, other other nations uh, then begin to communicate what some of their their interests and ideas are, and and uh, really, so it's it it does evolve into other other areas of interest, but I really think they come away from uh, learning more about our government and, and how we govern and also our people. Um, they, they, they get exposed to interests and topics that uh, maybe aren't, aren't uh, always talked about in, in very formal, formal settings. Well, I know I've taken up a lot of both of your time. We had some other topics we we're going to talk about, but this has been so valuable to hear about these the international delegations and how they serve both, you know, the law enforcement community writ large across the globe, but also your own states. I'd love just as we wrap up to I, I would love to hear a little bit more from both of you on your relationships with other AGs. You've talked about a couple things, both with the delegations or when you need to deal with something that's locally important and across, you know, or along your state borders, anything you'd like to share about the relationships you've built with your fellow AGs as we wrap up? Um, General Bajaris, do you want to kick that one off? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, that, you know, among, among some of the AGs across the country, uh, what ceases to amaze me is the level, because the, the organizations like NAG uh, foster and create a platform for us in, in which we send our employees to be trained and we, we, we engage in just a host of topics from anti-corruption, anti-trust, um, ethics, commerce. I mean, the, the sky's the limit and, and we could not um, gain that national understanding quickly, as quick as we need to without organizations like NAG. But what ends up happening is we, we uh, begin to dialogue and call each other when we also need help uh, or support on crisis situations or situations that uh, the country is facing, I think organically these calls uh, take place. I think because of organizations like NAG, whether it's uh, General Wasden and I talking about the electoral system or uh, General Reyes and I talking about human trafficking interactions, a lot of times because we are all independent states and we all have different legal systems, um, it, it's still vital for us to get an understanding of what's going on in Idaho or Utah or Washington, D.C., for that matter. And so um, we've been exposed to a level of intellectual understanding, um, a diversity of issues because of those relationships. However, I will say I'm a better AG from uh, the opportunity to collaborate with AGs in Florida. The one that comes to mind for me. Uh, well, the two largest uh, cases that I'm dealing with are the litigation issues involving the opiate crisis. I have collaborated with um, AGs uh, from all over the country, and everyone is handling a little differently. But ultimately, we have to create a resolution of one of the greatest crisis situations in, in my generation. And it's because of those relationships that we have that we're able to, I believe, I see some light at the end of the tunnel. Where ultimately our states, hopefully, uh, in in my term or Sean's term, we will see resources flow to those that are most impacted by opiate addiction that have been decimated for three generations, 
Uh, I think that um, nonpartisan collaboration of taking on the most powerful and wealthiest companies in the world is due to that camaraderie and that ability for us to uh, trust each other, to learn from each other and share ideas uh, is, is really a testament to NAG. The second one for me is just more smaller on a smaller scale, but it's vital for my state. My state is one of the most challenged states as it relates to water as a natural resource. And I'm in litigation right now with Texas and the federal government and, and in with Colorado. But even though we're from different parties, Texas A&G and I talk about um, uh, how is it that we can come to a resolution. I mean, New Mexico and Texas have, and Utah and, and Arizona and Colorado have had water wars uh, since the birth of our nation. And even previous to that, these regions, but with, with climate change, with um, fiscal crisis situations, with COVID, the last thing we need is an inability to come up with a shared water agreement. And so in and out of the court systems, I think these relationships get tested, uh, but there's also a great benefit where we can set the tone of dialogue and understanding. Whereas we all know lawyers can quickly break down relationships very easily and sue each other and, and come out of a situation worse where, where both sides lose. But the collaboration that I'm having in a complicated issue like water, where past legal systems have not been able to come up with a sustainable agreement, I really have a lot of confidence that uh, I can shoot straight with the Texas AG. He won't get too offended if I get critical, and he can fire back off his opinions on, on how he thinks Texas should be protected. So, so an example like that, so that, that something so vital as sharing water for our way of life, for our economic well-being has not been figured out by past court systems. But NAG and these kind of relationships, we create a, another line of dialogue where we either can uh, come up with an alternative, but ultimately we're able to respect the people that we represent and really talk honestly to each other in a way that um, really um, promotes um, uh, keeps us from breaking down. And I think uh, that's been one of the rewarding experiences I've had in my career. Thank you for sharing that. General Reyes, do you want to wrap us up with your take on, on the relationships? I don't know if I could say it any better than um, Hector did, but I'll reiterate from my perspective. Again, I think probably the one word that I would describe my relationships with other AGs would be hope. And why do I say that? Because we can differ even um, very deeply on ideological issues. But at the end of the day, I think that my colleagues, uh, regardless of their uh, political affiliation, are, are all patriots. And uh, yeah, there's a great line in the West Wing, uh, that, that show from a long time ago, and the Bartlett administration, which was a Democrat administration, hired some Republican and that and everybody was, you know, they, they called her to say, like, what's it like working with the enemy over there? How, you know, how, how could you actually stomach being with these people? And she said, I think that was the line. She said, you know, they're they're patriots. They, they, they we may differ on how we want to protect America and how we want America to be strong, but we all want those things. And um, with so much of the world, especially in the political sphere being divisive, 
it's incredibly refreshing to be able to call uh, on any number of my colleagues across the aisle, including General Balderas, and have real conversations and get things done. Without him, we don't get done the negotiations with the EPA on hundreds of millions of dollars in remediation that needs to go to reclamation for billions of gallons of toxic waste that are, you know, hold up behind these mining timbers way up in mining towns. And if if we should have, God forbid, a, a bigger blowout, what we saw, which was really bad, would be magnified, you know, 10 or 100 or 1,000 fold. Um, I think Hector hit on something too, as the, the role of the AGs has kind of evolved and if things have gotten more national and international, um, and we've banded together in a bipartisan way, sort of started out with the tobacco litigation some decades ago. And, um, and we've seen that template now, uh, even though they're different issues. It, it could be the Volkswagen case where you know, issues with regarding consumer protection and the environment. It was really about protecting our, our, our air. And AGs all came together and brought uh, tens of billions of dollars back to their respective states cumulatively. And he talked about opioids. It's, it's not just holding the manufacturers of opioids um, accountable, but distributors, uh, physicians, um, pharmacies. It's been AGs. Uh, put a lot of pressure on all of these different industries to say, hey, you, uh, we're all in America, have some culpability in this, some more than others, but you need to step up. And lo and behold, uh, initial conversations, here's an example with uh, pharmacy um, companies, large pharma companies are saying, no, it's not, that's not our problem. Uh, and yet after pressure from the AGs over several years, uh, suddenly they came up with, I think, very positive uh, um, limitations on what kinds of scripts they would fill. Say, okay, it doesn't matter if the, the doc says you have a prescription for 120 days, we're only going to fill three and then you can come back. And they figured out a way to get uh, into the fight and become part of the solution. I'm not saying that it was exclusively the AGs, but I'm sure that that constant pressure helped them come to that realization. Insurance companies, they're not quite there yet. Law enforcement, um, re recovery and treatment uh, all being part of the, the solution uh, dealing with, uh, and AGs are great. We, uh, again, because of my tech background, we, we uh, at least in Utah, have tried a lot and experimented with a lot of different um, technologies that then many of my colleagues have taken. And, and by the way, one of the best things about having 49 or more colleagues when you count territories is that something's gotta be working in other states. If you take 50 states, Someone's figured out um, how to make a really good wheel and you don't have to reinvent it. And I just get to go survey what my friends are all doing. Thank goodness we have the personal relationships and say, who's got the best mousetrap for X? And sometimes it's like three states. I like all your mousetraps. And we are very free about let's take it. Let's use it. No pride of ownership. Let's just get the job done and protect America. Um, these friends uh, who start off as AGs, many have gone on to be governors, senators. Um, you look at uh, people in the White House uh, who, who started off their careers as AGs. And so I think um, having that spirit of cooperation and bipartisanship 
is very effective. Criminal justice reform has been a, an area where, you know, this great confluence of interests have all come together and we've been able to get done some things that I didn't think possible um, before. Um, since Hector, uh, or and the last thing I'll mention in terms of kind of the, the cases of our time, the ones that we're filing against big tech, um, and I want to be clear, this is not, AGs are not filing cases against big tech because we don't appreciate what many of those companies have done. They have done some really good things and we've worked with them on finding children who are missing, protecting children and families against human trafficking and child sexual abuse and all sorts of things. But just because you do a lot of good things and just because we work with you on a lot of productive things doesn't mean it's not our job to also call you on other stuff when we feel like you've gone past uh, the legal line. And, uh, and, and so I want people to understand that, yes, we are filing massive lawsuits. We're not anti-technology. We're far from it. We're the opposite. We realize how positive technology can be, but also how dangerous it can be to our young people with cyberbullying and addictions and, and sex predators rampant and, and things like trafficking. Um, and it's a real hard balance I think Hector and I would agree. It's always trying to strike that balance of allowing innovation, but proper and responsible regulation and, uh, you know, being uh, holding people accountable in the criminal justice system and, and being as strict as we possibly can with also being merciful and understanding that it's not a perfect system. If I had to finish uh, like his water issues, we, we similarly have out in the West um, like issues. And I think, public lands, and I know New Mexico deals with it. Most people like east of the Mississippi don't even know what a public land is because they're, they're just not dealing with the same type of dynamic. Out here in the West, we have the federal government that controls or dominates you know, 50% or even 60% or higher depending on states like mine or Nevada. And, and it causes a lot of difficulties and issues. And I'll just give you one example so people can get a real understanding. It's not... Um, who owns the land. Uh, we're not talking about national parks or monuments. We're talking about a whole lot of other land that the federal government uh, is trying to manage, but not doing a good job managing. That's why we're seeing massive forest fires. And that's why we're seeing grazing lands just getting ravaged and devastated. So in my state, you've got local cities and counties, ranchers and farmers whose livelihoods have been destroyed because wild horses just continue to run rampant throughout their territory. And it's not, you can't just tell the horses um, stop. You can't, can't reason with the horses. And so we keep turning to the federal government because they say states and local municipalities, you do not have the jurisdiction. This is our sole and exclusive jurisdiction, which would be fine if they had a solution, but they don't, and they have it for you know two decades or more. And finally, you get frustrated to a point where you're saying, look, if we can't protect ourselves, you're supposed to be doing it, but you're not. And we understand there are finite budgets, but we have innovative ways. Let's work together. Let us self-help. Let us be part of the solution. And it's frustrating because so often we get just you know, federal uh, government saying, no, um, we, you can't. And, and uh, Supreme Court decisions, that would suggest that the federal government not the states, not the territories, which if you look at our history is really uh, the, the opposite of why we were um, founded in the first place, um, that they, the federal government should have uh, control. 
And, and so these are difficult policy issues, but ones that are affecting Utahns and folks in New Mexico every single day. And uh, like Hector said, these are some of the, the, the great issues of the, and challenges that, that I face in my job. And thank goodness I have reasonable leaders, uh, AGs of other similar Western states who are willing to sit down with me and if necessary, stand up to the federal government. And, and just like big tech, hey, we, we know you do a lot of great things. We like working with you when we can. But here, clearly, something has to change because it's not working. Our citizens deserve better. Uh, and America, frankly, deserves better. So uh, I'll end it with that. Uh, no matter how hard and difficult and trying uh, the threats might be, uh, no matter how uh, pessimistic and fatalistic people might get, um, I think there's hope. And a lot of that hope I see comes from uh, my experience working with my fellow AGs through NAG and other organizations um, that, uh, that give me that perspective. Wow. I feel like we could talk for hours about some of these really important issues and we've only just touched the surface. But what's clear is that for all, many of the topics we've talked about, the relationships that you have with your fellow AGs are what help you get the job done for your own constituents in your state. So I just want to thank you both for your time and for sharing all these wonderful insights with our listeners and um, just appreciate what you do for, for NAG as members of NAG, but also the, the entire community. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Allison. Thanks, Allison. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the nonpartisan work of America's 56 state and territory attorneys general in future episodes. In the meantime, you can learn more at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.